1: We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. boys are back. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is Reception Perception the show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Coe, not Matt Harmon. We got Derek Klassen in the building. You're listening to Reception Perception the show. All right, so Matt's taking a little bit of time off here, and that's okay. Uh, we got quarterback guru. Um, Derek Klassen joining us today, and you can find his work, of course, uh, on our website, receptionperception.com. You could also find some of his work on the 33rd team um, as well. Okay, so uh, Derek Klassen, I want to just start right out the gates, man, uh, because I told Matt this when we, when we did our show a couple days ago, but I thought that week nine <laughs> was – perhaps the worst we collect of collective quarterbacking we have ever seen in the NFL since the leather helmet days i mean whether it's injuries and backups or or just you know good players performing well this is some of the worst quarterbacking i think i've ever seen there in week number 9
0: that's the thing is you got a little bit of uh, of everything you got some of the the guys that we knew wouldn't play well like daniel jones goes out with an acl injury so tommy devito has to play again They actually let him throw the ball this time, which was cool to see, even though he didn't really do a whole lot with it. Um, The Cardinals started Clayton Toon on purpose, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, But then on the other side, like you said, like Patrick Mahomes didn't really play his best game. Tua didn't really play his best game. Gino, which we're going to talk about, got absolutely obliterated by probably the best defense in the league. So, I mean, you just got a little bit of everything. So the top guy's not playing well, and then the guys at the bottom playing like guys who are at
1: the bottom. Um, The Clayton Toon show was... (laughs) That was just like... (laughs) Wow. Why? (laughs) Wow. You know why they had to do that though, Derek, man? like uh, This is my thought. I think they had to trade Joshua Dobbs because... Yeah. And and again, the the trade deadline happens a week before basically uh, Kyler Murray's ready to come off of, of IR, right? So they have to make a move. And I think it's just basically a thought of, all right, we have to move Joshua Dobbs because we know he's not the long-term starter. And the longer he's on this team, if Kyler comes out the gate and struggles, there's going to be a serious you know groundswell to get Joshua Dobbs into the starting lineup. You know, whether it's from the fans or whether it's from inside internally from the team, um, I just feel like because the how well Josh Dobbs had played, I I feel like they were just trying to avoid um, you know, potential drama down the road. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. Like you don't, I mean, you paid Kyler Murray a, an obscene amount of money. You don't really want to upset him when he first comes back. And like truth be told, he's right. probably not going to look his best in the first couple of games when he comes back is when you come back from a major injury, especially for a guy who relies on his athletic ability, it's probably going to be a little bit tough. I think the other thing too, is like Josh Dobbs really served a purpose as a guy for who uh, this team, we knew they weren't going to be good, but he was serviceable enough that it let you see what the whole thing was supposed to look like. Well, we're at the midway point and they're like one in seven. And so, and Kyler's coming back now, but if Kyler gets hurt again, What's the value of playing Dobbs at this point? Like you're not going to save the season. The season's already done. So at that point, screw it if Kyler gets hurt again. So there really was no, you know, like you said, there was no value in keeping Dobbs. So good good on him for playing well. But
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I thought it was actually a pretty forward-thinking move there from the uh, the Cardinals front office, which has uh, not been that great overall in general. Uh, But no, I thought it was a smart, savvy move actually for them to move on from Dobbs. Get what you can. Get what you can uh, from Joshua Dobbs, who again, I, I think he has been playing a lot better than folks anticipated. And by the way, this Clayton Toon show that we saw in Arizona, um, that's how bad everyone thought this team was going to be. And by the way, that's how good Joshua Dobbs had been playing prior to week number nine because he was so good and and I don't want to say so great or whatever it was, but he was serviceable to the point where and, and even serviceable, I think is not I don't think that you know fully encapsulates how you know important he was to this team. He was covering a lot, a lot of roster deficiencies. You know, so um, man, I, I just tip my cap to to Joshua Dobbs. Obviously, got the big win with the Vikings as well. Uh, maybe we'll get to him a little later on in the show too. But um, you just charted Geno Smith. OK, uh, took on who, in your estimation, you said best defense in the NFL. You're not going to get an argument from me. They're playing out of this, uh, out, of, uh, out of their minds right now in the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, 47.9% adjusted accuracy. That's real bad. That is real bad, <laughs> Derek Klassen. It's not Can good. Can you talk about, no, it is not good. Can you talk about, uh, you know, Geno Smith there in week number nine? And then again, week number nine is one thing. But what about the entire season? Where are we at with Geno Smith?
0: This was one of those games to me where it really just felt like this was the best defense in the league, hitting all the right buttons against an offense that is nice and a quarterback that is nice, but they're like Mm -hmm. two or three. This defense is like two or three tiers above that. And when they're playing the way that they can play, I think um, these kind of games can just happen. I think when you Obviously, you know I wrote this. When you look at the numbers, they're bad. Like, there's no positive spin. There's really no route he threw well. There's no area he threw well. He wasn't good under pressure. He wasn't good in the tight window. Like, there, there's no positive way to spin it. But when you watch it, there really aren't that many plays that he didn't make that were there. You know what I mean? Like the the yeah. Baltimore mm-hmm. Ravens defense was just playing completely out of their mind. I think some of the simulated pressures and creepers that Mike McDonald was sending were were unbelievable, like some of the slot pressures he had. They had one just outside the red zone where, like, they send an unblocked uh, slot pressure, um, it gets perfectly gloved up, and then the guy who comes uh, ends up getting a hand on the ball. It's like, what are you going to do when they're, when they're just <laughs> playing like that and, and hitting all the right buttons? Um, exactly. And then, you know, Gino was right. was under pressure for half of his throws um, in this game by my charting, which is just not yeah. – you can't really play quarterback that way. Nah, so, I, to no. me, it was just one of those games where – everything that could have gone wrong went wrong and the last thing I'll say on that point the interception Gino Smith threw was a miscommunication between him and um Tyler Lockett because you can see Mm -hmm. before the snap Gino is trying to make some sort of adjustment he sees that the the Ravens are in a too high shell they're probably going to go play cover two and they do and Gino is trying to get a go route into that hole into that cover Mm, two hole he wants to throw the sideline shot you can see Tyler Lockett before the snap he's like looking over at Gino yelling like yo What was the call? Like, what's the change? What are we doing? Tyler Lockett takes an inside release on his vertical route, which Ah. is a no-no if you're trying to throw this. And then he kind of just like stops running the route. And so, but Gino throws it anyway. He's like, screw it. This is all we had. I'm getting pressured. And so it ends up an interception because it's a miscommunication. So like I said, everything that could have went wrong in this game, it, it went wrong.
1: Yeah. The defensive front there for Baltimore, I think has been playing really well. I've been really impressed actually with the back end of the defense because it's a unit that last year I thought was really lacking. Uh, And and all of a sudden I think they've just become, uh, again, a a little bit of a shutdown, uh, not a little bit, a a shutdown defense really from what we've seen uh, in the first half of the year. Uh, Two things that stood out for me in this game uh, in regards to your charting, nearly a third of of the throws that Gino had were both pressured and into tight windows. That's crazy, man. Like you, again, we're talking about how do you make these throws where not only are you under pressure, but you're then also throwing into tight windows. Right. So it's one thing to see pressure right in your face, but you see a man streaking down the side or, or maybe you know, a tight end on a seam route and he's wide open. Okay. That's one thing. But now he's trying to fit him into tight windows, and he's under the gun. Man, that's um that that's a tough way to live.
0: Yeah, it's and that's really again credit to this Ravens defense because a lot of times what you'll see. So the Ravens send a lot of these like five man pressures, and they'll do it in a bunch of funky different ways. But you'll see this from other defenses too, like um, you know the Giants do this, or or, or the Bucks kind of do. They live in this kind of philosophy. The thing is, there's usually a lot more air in the coverage when those defenses do that. Like, you can find the blind spots and, like, where the blitzers are coming from, all that sort of stuff. That's just not true with the Ravens. Like, they glove everything up so well and they know exactly what routes you're trying to get into. They know how to manipulate um, some of your protection. So, like, checkdowns don't get out. So, when you're pressured, you're like, oh, God, the running back who might have got out isn't getting out. The tight end is, like, stuck in chip help, all that sort of stuff. And you're still getting hit by a free rusher. So, like, again, I, I think the Ravens just did an unbelievable job. I mean to get that to get pressure and tight windows on more than a quarter of your your throws like I mean good luck man. Who who yeah. who in the league is going to have a good day when when that's what no you're one. dealing with.
1: Yeah, it's really tough. Um uh, yeah, you mentioned too that uh, half his checkdowns were just outright defended. Uh, yeah. which is, come on, that's not supposed to happen. They're called checkdowns for a reason, dude. Like these got to be open, man. How are these, how are the checkdowns being defended outright? That's half of them. That's just, anyways, that's crazy. Um, uh, Listen, I, I wanted to talk, get away from this game and just kind of take a look at it from a, uh, a, a season-long perspective because I think the general consensus is, and um, I think you're going to fight against this, but I think the general consensus is that Geno's really, coming back down to earth in a very hard way. Last year, you charted this guy and um, was arguably the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, right? He was his uh, 75% success rate versus man. That was number one in the league. And then his 75% success rate versus zone, that was top five. So you could make a real good argument that Gino was the most accurate quarterback in the league in 2022. Talk to me about where he is at in 2023.
0: I mean, I think statistically, it's pretty hard to argue that he's not been worse, especially over the past few weeks. I mean, this Ravens game is really going to tank him, but even the week before against the Browns was, a, was not that great. I think what I would yeah. say, and we actually saw also, this it's, also, the by the way,
1: also, also a tough defense with the Browns too. So yes. just, you know, put a little context in there. Yeah.
0: A hundred percent. And that's, um, and I think specifically, and we saw this at the end of last year where the tackle plays started to deteriorate a little bit and you saw some, of uh, You know, Geno Smith kind of be a little bit more uneven, especially statistically. I think that's really been a problem this year. Like their offensive line has been bad. I think early parts in the season, you know, Charles Cross wasn't playing. Abe Lucas hasn't played for most of the season. They've been fumbling around it at right guard a little bit. So like they've just had huge offensive line problems. And when you run into a Browns front that is as good as anybody and you run into a yeah. Ravens front that is going to really mess up your protection rules about as good as anybody and still have guys who can get home like Matipuike is incredible clown. He is playing at a really high level. Those are just defenses that are really conducive to making the specific way that this team is built and the way that Gino plays look really bad because Gino is a guy who he's going to hold on to the ball. He's going to try to get through his progressions. He's going to want to get to the backside and he's going to throw the dang ball into a tight window. And that is just a play style that can be a little bit fragile. Like we've seen this with Dak Prescott at times, especially last year, like, you know, when, when he, when the offensive line wasn't quite playing as well and every single window was tight. Sometimes you get interceptions. Sometimes you get really bad games where the the bounces just aren't going your way. I think that's really all it is with Gino right now is that the offensive line is really, really making it difficult um, to, to, to play the way that they want to uh, especially these past few weeks. So I still have faith that in the long run, you know, by the mm-hmm. end of the season, we're going to look at and be like, you know, Gino Smith had a fine year. Maybe it wasn't quite as flashy as, as the year before, but I think we're going right. to look back at the end of the season and be like, you know what? He he, he did well and, and they figured themselves out.
1: Okay. Um, I want to transition to, to New England here. Um, again, talk about guys th- where the narrative is that, oh, okay, this guy's fallen off. Uh, I think that was Mac Jones. Uh, and what an interesting He's had such a short career, Derek, and it has been just truly one of the most up and down careers that we've ever seen where he comes in rookie year and it's gangbusters. Everyone says, oh, oh, the genius Bill Belichick. He's done it again. He's done it again. Matt Jones is the truth. He's the real deal. He's, he's going to lead this Patriots team. All right. So he's on this on this rapid ascent where everyone says, OK, he's clearly the best quarterback of this class. OK, so we're we're moving way up. All right. So then last year, he deals with a little bit of a clown show at uh, offensive coordinator, whoever that might have been. Um, and, and, and people kind of give that last year a little bit of a pass. All right, now they bring in Bill O'Brien and he's worse. He's worse than he was last year, at least for, especially from a statistical standpoint, even from, I, I think the, the optics of Mac Jones looks a lot worse um, than it was last year. So now people are saying, oh, he's a bust. right so now now, well now Mac Jones can't play where is the truth uh in this you know again very wide ranging you know uh career arc for for Mac Jones
0: I I really think I'm a Mac Jones centrist because when he had that rookie season I didn't think it was as good as as people thought like I I, you know I thought he did really good pre-snap like he, he was getting the ball out making a lot of good decisions he was accurate But just not a guy who created, not a guy who had a big arm, not a guy who was making a ton of wow throws. And you were like, this can be functional, but this is not going to be like a top eight take me to the Super Bowl every year type of quarterback. And then the last two years have happened, especially this year. And I'm kind of on the opposite end where it's like, he's still actually doing all of the things (laughs) that kind of made him look good (laughs) as a rookie, where he's actually Uh doing a good job of of playing pre-snap. He's doing a good job of finding answers versus the blitz and stuff, um, at least with like some of their hot route stuff. Um, he he's playing with good timing. Like when he has time in the pocket, he generally makes good decisions. He's still a pretty accurate thrower. It's just that the offense is built in such a way that the margin for error is so, 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 so small. And he's just not a guy who has tools to fix that. Like he's not a guy who's going to go create his, his pocket presence is not that good. So he's not going to stand in and make super tough throws. And he doesn't really have the arm to like make a throw work when it's not really there. And so you just kind of see this offense that is constantly sputtering because it really all they have are like quick passes and him finding quick answers versus the blitz and some screens. But like they can't throw the ball over the intermediate area. They don't even run the ball and play action that well. And they can't throw down the field because nobody can separate. So it's like the the offense is built in all of the ways that make Mac Jones look bad, but he's not actually this bad.
1: It's weird though, because I thought his rookie year, they did a lot of, they did a lot of things to help kind of accentuate some of his strengths, you know? Um, And then they kind of got away from that. So I'm a little bit confused. All right. There's two things here. And I agree with your, you know, kind of centrist take here on Mac Jones, by the way, I kind of view him more as a. A low end starter, you know, somebody that, you know, again, absolutely capable. Um, you know, if you surround him with talent, I think he can absolutely elevate. Um, I don't think he's going to elevate the play of his receivers, but I think if like, well, like what we're seeing in Miami, you know, that's the extreme yes. example of like you give a guy, you know, certain, you know, weapons and, and and an offensive head coach or whatever it might be. I think he can operate the offense fine. Um, okay. Okay. Now, that being said, there was two plays in particular, right? So one, he just missed a wide open. I think it was, I want to say it was Juju Smith-Schuster for for a first down. Uh, But then he also threw an absolute dime down the field. Was it to Jalen Rager, Derek? That was two where it just, where it was where an absolute, just moonshot, beautiful deep ball, hits the receiver in both hands and the guy just drops it. You know what I'm saying? So... I, I thought he had a little bit, uh, again, just up and down kind of play where there's there's certain plays that he left on the table, but man, certainly plays where his receivers let him down to.
0: And, and that's really the pain point of this offense, right? Is like when he misses to juju like that because the, the margin for error on the offense is, is so slim, it feels catastrophic when you miss on a play that should be relatively easy like that. Right. And so you can't have those when you also have your best throw on the day Jalen freaking Rager is the guy who's on the other end of it and he can't come down with it because of course he can't because Jalen Rager hasn't done that in five years in the NFL or whatever. So like it, they're just in a frustrating spot. I think you make a good point with Tua. Like I think Tua is generally a better quarterback than Mac. But like if you put Mac in the Miami offense or in the San Francisco offense or something like Do that,
1: thing. yeah, they're doing yeah people
0: thing. are going to be like, this is a top 10 quarterback because he has the traits that would make these offenses tick. You know that, yeah. So New, New England just doesn't have any of that,
1: obviously. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting spot here for Mac Jones because even last year when, again, it was a little bit of a clown show um, at Offensive Coordinator, um, our guy Derek Classen charted him with the... Uh, tied with Geno Smith last year in terms of success rate versus man. And that was number one in the NFL. And he was also top 10 versus zone coverage as well. Top 10 is... I think top 10 is, is good by the way, when you, when you kind of take a, when we start talking about some of these numbers here, I think top 10 is good. Uh, It's not like, it's different than if you're saying like a top 10 wide receiver or a top 10 running back. It's just a little different, you know, because um, again, I, I think top 10 and Derek, I don't know if you disagree, agree or disagree, but I just feel like when you say top 10 for quarterback metrics, there's a lot of guys that are in that mix. You know what I'm saying? Like between 10 and 15 or 10 and 16.
0: No, a hundred percent. I mean, there's just fewer guys doing it. You know what I mean? That's the thing. When you Mm -hmm. say a top 10 receiver, it's like, well, every team is fielding three. So there's, uh, I mean, that's what like a hundred, that's basically a hundred receivers who matter. So yeah, when you're top 10 of that, it makes a little bit, it's a little bit of a stronger thing. Whereas when you're in that, like, I think basically with anything with quarterbacks, if you're in like that eight to 20 range, like Mm -hmm. really given the circumstances, like a lot of stuff could be really, really close. A hundred percent. So good on him for being in that range, but
1: yeah, exactly. And so again, I, in, and this is, I think that flies in the face of the narratives um, in regards to Mac Jones in 2022 anyways, the fact that again, tied with Geno Smith in terms of success rate versus man coverage and top 10 versus zone that's, that is extremely solid numbers, you know? So um, uh, again, like you said, good on him. Um, I, I feel as if he has certainly taken a step back here, um, in 2023. I can't wait for when those final numbers come out, uh, from our guy, Derek class here. All right. I want to talk about green Bay a little bit. Um, Jordan love is an interesting, I don't know, a little bit of a conundrum for me, right? Because I see a lot of traits, Derek, where I'm like, you know what? I don't think this is a Jordan love problem. I think this is, um, a, a problem with just the overall health of the offense. It's extremely young. The offensive line has been Super banged up. And again, as you know, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I'm not the biggest LaFleur guy. I think the schemat, I think the offensive scheme is, is problematic. Uh, and it really and it takes a superhuman effort, I think, to be successful uh in this LaFleur scheme. Okay, now that's just my take. All right, but where are we at with Jordan Love right now in Green Bay's offense?
0: I mean, I think conundrum is the perfect word because the thing with love is like I didn't even really like him all that much coming out of college. I thought I thought he was going to be a huge tear down, build up project, and I think they did an okay job at fixing some of the things that he had problems with. But he's still an inconsistent and honestly not all that accurate passer. But mm-hmm. I think we've seen from him like. He really does have these flashes where like he's willing to stay right. strong in the pocket. He's willing to progress all the way to the backside and make a really tough throw. He can throw outside the numbers because he has a really talented arm. Yeah. Like you see how this should be good and you see moments of him kind of getting it. But to your point, like this is this is the youngest offense in the NFL and it's not even really close. Like they're, they're fielding basically t- all of their skill players except for Aaron Jones, basically our first and second year guys. And a lot of them are like not even first round talents. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. think any of them are actually like, it's just a very young green offense. And then, like you said, at least last year when this was kind of true with the, with the Packers offense, the offensive line was better. And they have Alan Lazard who is not great, but a veteran. Um, They just don't have any of that right now. Like the offensive line is just rotating every single guy out at tackle that they have on the roster. Um, They've been rotating out at guard. I know they did last game. They started playing Sean Ryan. So like they just haven't found anything that works for them. And when you're a first year starter, Unless you're one of those just unless you're a C.J. Stroud where you're just like you got it and it's so obvious to everybody when you're one of right. those guys that needs a little bit of time, a little bit of help. When you have the youngest offense in the NFL, like it's just it's hard, man. Like you can see them busting on plays like once a drive. It's it's bad. And so just it, for for different reasons, the margin of error is very slim like New England. And it's just, it's really frustrating to watch.
1: I feel the things I like about Jordan Love, arm talent is clearly there. Um, he, he's certainly got the the tools in terms of arm talent. Um, and I and I like his pocket presence too, man. Like he he knows exactly when to get out of there um, and pick up yards on the ground, which I think has been great. Um, but he doesn't, it's not like he relies on that. You know what I mean? He, yeah. He's willing to stay in the pocket and, and sling it when need be. Um, but again, when there's just nothing there, he'll also kind of sneak out the back door uh, and pick up yards where he can. So I, I those are two things that I look at for a quarterback and say, all right, w- if we're starting from there, I-, I think we can coach up the rest. Um so I think he's got the requisite tools uh, to be a plus starter in this league. I just that's just not where Green Bay is at right now. Man, the CJ Stroud, by the way, the CJ Stroud comparison is so interesting too, because by the way, Houston's offense is really young too. That's an extremely young True. offense as well, and and one advantage that Green Bay has over Houston is that they at least with Aaron Jones anyway should have a capable uh, running game. I mean, however you feel about you know um, Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary, clearly they just aren't able to run the ball uh, very effectively at all, right? So C.J. Stroud really is doing yeoman's work down there in Houston.
0: He's I cannot buy enough C.J. Stroud stock, man. This guy is so (laughs) stupid good. It's crazy to me. Right. Um, And, you know, I I think I said on this show at a certain point that, like, even before this historical game he just had that, like, C.J. Stroud is just, it's so clear he's a guy. Um, I will say, I I do think, I don't know how they're doing it. Like, it it feels a little bit of, like, the Miami magic um, when they had a healthy offensive line. But, like, this offensive line is pass protecting a lot better than, they seem like they should be, um, given okay. everybody outside of, obviously, the left tackle, who is very, very good. Um, and I do think that's helping Stroud a little bit. But, like, he's taking full advantage of it, man. Like, he he's just standing in pockets really strong. His eyes are – honestly, his eyes are probably the best I've ever seen from a rookie. Just mm. the, the way that he knows where every defender on the field is and his timing of getting through stuff, it's just it, – it's unbelievable. And then his ball placement. Like, I even tweeted a clip today where Tank Dell is running, like, kind of a dig and they have a a quarter safety driving with inside leverage okay so he puts the ball low and on the back hip so that the safety can't drive and meet him at the ball and it's just stuff like that every single play with this guy like he is just he's already a top 10 quarterback I fully believe that he is playing at an unbelievable level and like you said he doesn't have a run game like usually with a rookie it's like okay we're gonna run game we're gonna RPO we're gonna play action we're gonna game it up right nah man he is playing big boy quarterback
1: uh, they made small improvements on the offensive line. And I just felt like them adding Shaq Mason may have been a little bit yeah. of a game changer. Um, you add Shaq Mason plus, by the way, I, you know, again, George Fant, I'm not saying he's the best, okay, but I think he's a, an absolute league average starter at right tackle. Um, and they replaced Titus Howard with George Fant. And I thought, again, that was a really, really smart, savvy move and George Fant, when when he works alongside Laramie Tunsil and Shaq Mason, well, I, you know, I think they're I think they're doing okay, you know. So um, the offensive line, I think, has been uh, vastly improved. But man, you just really can't get away from the fact that CJ Stroud is just playing out of his mind, man. It's just this guy's so good, man. Like, what what is going on? A rookie shouldn't be this good. A rookie should not be this good. Um, and really, what it comes down to, Derek, you and I have talked about it too, but it's just. His ability to throw deep shots is just, yeah. you know, and, and if they give him the requisite time to, to, um to make those throws, that's where he absolutely kills people. And it's been, it's been beautiful to see because let's be real. It's not like he's throwing Devonte Adams out there, dude. Like Nico Collins, Tank Dell, like, you know, Noah Brown. Now all of a sudden he's elevating these guys to a certain level.
0: That that's, that's the greatest way to put it is that he's elevating. And, and like, you know, I know Matt loved Nico Collins, but like, Yeah, the CJ Stroud coming in there is kind of why Nico Collins has been able to like kind of step up in a way. Correct. I I wasn't huge on Tank Dell, but I think, you know, CJ Stroud is really, really making him work. Dalton Schultz has looked really, really good. Um, And we saw Schultz kind of get elevated in Dallas with another really good quarterback. But the fact that CJ Stroud is doing it with him again is, I think, also really impressive. I think, you know, with the downfield shots, the last two throws in that game, man, they were just unbelievable. The the second to last one, he throws a deep corner shot to uh, Tank Dell out of the slot on on a, yeah. on a corner out versus cover two. The right. arc, the the touch right. he puts on that ball, I know. meeting him right before it hits the sideline is just like oh, it's ridiculous. Pissed. And then and then on the touchdown, they run like a, a double post um, concept out of out of kind of like a tight trips alignment. As soon like even before Dell is really breaking on the post route. Stroud just rips it to him, tight coverage, puts it all above his head. And it's just like, dude, you cannot play quarterback better than this. <laughs> he, he's just out of his mind right now.
1: Yeah, he is certainly in his bag. And it was, a, um, to be honest with you, it was, it was a surprising performance given that uh, I thought he struggled against Carolina the week before. So again, and that's the life of a rookie, you know, ups and downs, but man. The ops for this kid is just through the roof. Unbelievable stuff. Okay, so it's a good segue into buy or sell some hype here. Obviously, we're buying the hype for CJ Stroud. All right. Are you buying or selling the hype for Will Levis there in Tennessee?
0: Oh, he's a tough one. Wow, because <laughs>
1: wow what what a long I'm, pause that was. <laughs> I'm
0: I'm I'm selling the hype that Will Levis is like a good quarterback right now but I'm kind of buying him as an idea a a lot, really along the same lines as like Jordan love where the arm talent is just like, Holy moly. Yeah. I mean, even more than love, like the, the arm talent, the way he just whips it out. Like it's so fast. Like it, it's unbelievable his, you know, what he can do with his arm. Um, And then he's really tough in the pocket. Like he's a guy who's willing to stand in there. Um, He played in a pro offense in college. And, and like you see some of those traits with the way that he manages the pocket. He can be a little numb sometimes, like, you know, Daniel Jones or, or old Geno Smith, but uh-huh. you kind of just live with that when you have a guy who has that kind of arm. Um, but he's just not there yet. And, and like that's we knew that that was going to be the case with him coming into the league is that this was going to take a little bit of time for him to speed up his processing a little bit, you know, maybe clean up some of the consistent accuracy. And he's just not there yet. And that's fine. But I'm glad that Tennessee is going to give him the rest of the season to hopefully figure that out. So I'm not really there on Levis looking that great for the rest of the year. And I don't know that he's very good right now. But as an idea, I'm I'm kind of there. I, I want to see what happens when you have that kind of arm. I want to see what happens.
1: So two things that um I want to get out here to you. So first, talk to me about where he could improve. Okay, and then second, um, when I watched L- Will Levis play, I feel like this was this is what we wanted Jay Cutler to be right? Mm -hmm. Where again, similar size, similar build, similar arm strength, you know, um, and and you talk about the pocket presence too. Uh, Some, a lot of that reminded me so much of Jay Cutler. Okay. So um, Jay Cutler kind of sort of fell apart because, you know, he was too wild, too erratic. But again, talk to me about one, where can Will Levis improve? And two, am I out of bounds by making the comp between Will Levis and Jay Cutler?
0: Yeah. So first of all, where he can improve, I think this is all stuff that was true in college where I think one, his footwork just, just needs to get cleaned up. He can be a little bit, he kind of plays on his toes and he'll kind of play like he just doesn't really have a very consistent timing within the rhythm of his dropback. Like to compare him to CJ Stroud, when CJ Stroud is on a three or a five step dropback, you can see it Everything is sequenced so perfectly to time up with his route. And then when he hitches, it's on to the next route, all that sort of stuff. Will Levis doesn't really have that. His eyes and his feet are a little bit disconnected. And I think that's why you have some of the accuracy issues. And then I think the other thing with Will Levis is his internal clock is a little bit <laughs> late. <laughs> you know, he yeah, has, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. why I compared right. him to Ryan Tannehill uh, coming out. Actually, he's like, he has the like Ryan Tannehill, hell or high water, man. He's going to sit in the pocket and, and wait for something to happen. Will Levis is going to sit there and wait for something to happen, and he'll make the throw if he gets hit. He doesn't care, yep. but it's also going to lead to a lot of sacks, and we saw that, especially in the second half against um, the Steelers where they were gloving things up a little bit better, and he just it, it didn't have an answer, and he was sitting there taking sacks. So I think those are the two areas he's really got to figure it out. But I kind of like the Levis comp because he does have – it. it's not the same I don't care vibe as Cutler where, like, Cutler was, like, I don't care in the sense of, like, dude, I could literally go home and drink a couple of beers after this and (laughs) I'll never think about it. Will Levis was more like, (laughs) oh, I threw a pick? Okay, I'll go throw a touchdown on the next drive. I don't care. Like, I'll figure it out. It's more of like an arrogance, like confidence type thing. And I kind of like that from a quarterback. Again, that's going to lead to some bad plays. But you hope that once he gets enough reps that it'll figure itself out.
1: Well, you know, the other thing about it now just talking about Levis too, it's like, you know, I feel like he's got kind of lazy feet like Cutler did too. You know, like Cutler Mm -hmm. just relied on his arms so much and – at times, you're like, oh, my God, this guy's got the best arm in the NFL. And other times, you're like, bro, can you just please just step into a throw? You know, like, please. Like, it, it it It's free to use your feet. Okay? <laughs> just step into a throw every now and again. I'm not saying Will Levis, I don't think, is quite as lazy with his feet. But certainly, there are times when you're like, okay, his, his, you know, his base is opened up to the point where you're like, where are you even pointing? Where, where are we even aiming this ball? You know? And he just, just uses just supreme arm talent to get it there.
0: No, a hundred percent. I mean, you see that sometimes with these guys who have rocket arms, because when they're playing in high school and even early on in college, I mean, who cares about being on time and being perfect? I can just rocket it in there. I mean, we (laughs) saw this with Josh Allen and then he grew up and fixed it. Um, And so, you know, we'll see if Levis can take, uh, take some of the same steps.
1: All right. So there you go. Um, all right. Buy or sell the hype on the aforementioned Joshua Dobbs.
0: I mean, I think for the way that people are talking about him, which is a guy who can be like a really strong spot starter and maybe like a low end starter. I mean, I'm buying it. Like, I think he's a guy who, I think when you have these guys who don't have exceptional physical tools, like, I mean, he's a good athlete and he can run a little bit and he has an NFL arm, but he's not like a tier in either of those really um and he was a guy who we knew was going to be a little inconsistent when he came out of college like 7 years ago or whatever mm-hmm. but he's such a smart player and when those guys get enough reps they see enough things they can kind of put it all together i mean we literally saw that where he's literally putting together a playbook in the huddle um Crazy. against the falcons last week so insane he to me is just a guy who he's kind of figured out how to just be a pro i think he's done a really good job this year of Um, You know, when the Cardinals were calling a lot of RPOs, he was making the right decision all the time. When they're calling reads in the run game, he's making the right decision all the time. Um, A lot of their quick game stuff, he's making the right read all the time. And he's playing with good timing, good base. He's not running himself into trouble with sacks. I'm still not sure he's going to give you enough down the field and enough consistently in the intermediate area. Like he can make some NFL throws, but just not like the top guys. But he could do enough to where it's like, hey, Maybe the Vikings can actually still figure out their season because he actually does give them enough because I think he plays pro quarterback and he gives you a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of athleticism. So he's got he's got a little bit of the floor raising stuff going for him. So I'm, I'm kind of buying it.
1: It's funny, too, because he co- goes in there and wins that game for Minnesota. And it's like you can't even say you've never seen that before because we literally saw it last year with Baker Mayfield had like with, two yeah. days of prep and won a game. Uh, for the Rams but this one again it's it it doesn't take away from the fact that it was just so incredibly impressive I think the one thing I, I, I that, that the difference between Dobbs's spot win versus Baker Mayfield's win was that Baker Mayfield was preparing even if even if it was for a very short period of time he was preparing to be the starter right Joshua Dobbs There's just no way mentally he was there because they told him, no, Jaron Hall is making the start. You'll be a backup and used only in case of emergency. This guy had to get ready, I mean, off the first drive. That is crazy to be able to lock in mentally like that and then just be able to perform incredibly impressive performance from Joshua Dobbs. I love the story. Um, and really, if anything, Derek, I think what this shows to me anyways, is you could have all the physical tools in the world, quarterbacking at the NFL level still relies on your brain so much, man. And the experience that you talked about, all the practice reps, all the NFL speed that he's gotten used to, all of that has just, you know, culminated into what we are seeing here today.
0: Even last year in Tennessee, he didn't really look that bad when he had to play for, um, When they, I think they didn't want to start uh, Malik Willis. Like he kind of looked okay. Um, I, I think the point you make about him not being the starter going into it is a huge one. Cause at least with Baker, it's like, okay, the game plan is for you. It's a limited game plan. And, you know, you don't know a lot and you don't exactly know everything, but this is for you. The game plan was for Jaron Hall, who is a different quarterback than Josh Dobbs. And so when they got to throw you in there like midway through the first half, it's like, oh, we've got to like, and cause the thing is like with game plans, especially on third down, Red zone, two minute. It's a lot of like game plan specific stuff. It's not like your core offense. When you've got a different guy in there that's got to go in, it's like, oh man, this, this could go really wrong. Unless you're a guy like Dobbs who has, you know, he's seen a lot and he can figure it out. So it, it's just a cool story. I can't get enough of it, man. I, I can't believe somebody did that.
1: Um, no one's confusing him for being a top 10 quarterback. He is a great story is Joshua Dobbs, but, uh, my guy, Derek Lassen wrote a top 10 quarterbacks list for the 33rd team. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You do this every week, right? You, you give a little power rankings here for the quarterbacks.
0: Yep. I rank, I rank every guy who is supposed to be the starter that week, which can be a little tricky because I, <laughs> I write it on uh, Monday and Tuesday and you don't exactly know who's going to actually start. So you get a couple correct. of weird ones, but yeah, it's supposed to be who's, who's starting. Yeah.
1: OK, so I'm not going to bore the people with the top, you know, uh, five or six, because wh- whatever you feel about Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen or Trevor Lawrence or, or Justin Herbert and Dak, it's like, all right, you know, maybe you move them up a couple spots, but whatever. OK, we're, we're talking little, little, little things here. OK, so just uh, again, we're talking Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen. I'm going in order here. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow um, are your top seven. OK, now eight, it start eight, nine. It starts getting a little wonky here. For me, and I'm sure people are going to be mad online about this. Okay, but Derek Lassen, you need to explain to the people. Why do you got Matt Stafford at eight and Jalen Hurts at nine?
0: I'll start with Stafford because uh, this is the more the positive spin. I think he was playing out of his mind um, until obviously until he got hurt. Um, and you don't necessarily see it in, the, in, the, in a lot of the statistics for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, for the first, I guess, month of the season, His number two receiver was Tutu Atwell, which like, come on. (laughs) Um, And then the offensive line really is still not all that good. It's definitely better than it was last year. I want to make that clear. Um, But I think going from literally like disaster mode like it was last year to just being a normal below average offensive line gave Stafford enough to where he could like uh, it gave him enough time to where he could make a lot of throws that he need to. I think when you're talking about especially throws outside the numbers like corner routes, some of the comeback routes they were throwing deep out routes, like Stafford was just on the money with everything. Like the, the velocity he can get with the arc he can get is just, he's kind of one of one. Um, I just think the biggest problem was games would kind of slip away from them. And it's really not all his fault. I think just when you're working with an offense that has such a slim margin of error, because they don't have a run game. They have a lot of young guys, especially when Cooper cup wasn't playing. Um, Add that on top of like, he can be a little bit volatile. He can be a little bit too aggressive it just sometimes like that team just runs out of juice, especially with the defense also not being very good. They're just a team who kind of runs out of juice. But I think when you watch him individually, it's like if you put him on a good team, he'd be just lighting it up right now. On the flip side, I think Jalen Hurts is exactly what it looks like when a guy who is a top 10 quarterback is surrounded by maybe the best supporting cast in the league. And this is not like a knock on Jalen Hurts. I think when, I think when. People see Jalen Hurts at nine. They're like, "Oh, you hate him." And it's just like, no. I think if you put X quarterback number nine, whoever he is for you know the listener, if you put him on a team that has a top three offensive line, a all pro receiver, an all pro tight end, another Pro Bowl receiver, it's like, yeah, man, he probably is going to put up close to MVP numbers because this is just a really, really good situation for him. So I think Hurts is good. There's just a couple of things in his game that aren't all the way there that aren't complete. And maybe that's just stylistic stuff for me, but I think he's a really good quarterback, just not quite in the tier that his numbers might suggest.
1: Uh, yeah, that it, it really, again, highlights the AJ Brown trade, you know, where you add a guy like that to your roster and it just, I mean, we talk about quarterbacks elevating the play. And for me, it's like AJ Brown should be considered, uh, an MVP because of what he was able to do to help elevate that offense, you know? Um, I don't totally disagree with, with where you have Hurts. It's just, yeah, it's, the optics of it is pretty tough, you know, because Hurts is, is in the small sample of, of like MVP conversations. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we've got him here uh, below Stafford, uh, which I think w- would uh, surprise a ton of folks. Okay. Uh, you've got Stroud at number 10 who we've, you know, uh, highlighted his play. Okay, fine. Um, brother, come on now. Uh, you go, We got to be real now. Why is Kyler Murray at 11? The man hasn't played football this year, dude.
0: I mean, I'm just basing this off of like what I thought Kyler was before, um, which mm-hmm. probably is like I I should have not maybe done that because like with Joe Burrow this year, I was knocking him down because he wasn't playing at the level that we knew he he couldn't play at. So maybe I should have done that a little bit with Kyler Murray and put him 16, 17, something like that. But yeah, I just think with Kyler – we've seen him play at an MVP level, like it, it in the like Hertz tier where he's not actually like a top five quarterback, but with some of the right circumstances, he can play at that level. And I think we've seen that from Kyler. I think the last Cliff Kingsbury year, like really, really tainted what people think of Kyler Murray. I think he was kind of checked out. I think Cliff was checked out. I think that whole organization just needed to hit the reset button a little bit, and they have. And so I think it's probably not going to look, great like I said the first couple of weeks for Kyler Murray coming out of the gate um, you know with the injury it's been a while since he's played but he's just like when he's really rolling and when he feels like he has some help and 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 stuff like that I think he can really play at a high level and honestly I think the Cardinals offensive coordinator is kind of Kind of good, and, and definitely better than Cliff. So I, I'm I'm oh, very interested to see Cliff. how Come that looks. Now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, not not tough to be better than Cliff for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, we've got uh, Geno Smith, who you talked about at number twelve, uh, which I think is fine. And then um, you know, but that would's but but again, a surprising number considering how poorly he's played uh, from a statistical standpoint anyways, over the last two weeks. Right. Okay. Um, so you've got him at 12. Okay. So now you've got another potential MVP candidate there in Tua Tunga Vailoa, uh, there at 13, which I think again would, would get a lot of folks mad. I got to just from a, I don't know, just from like a, um, intellectual standpoint, like what is it about Tua where people just put on their capes and just go to war for this guy? Like, I, that's where I'm a little bit confused. You know, like, why can we not have a normal conversation about Tua Tungavailoa where we just say, Hey man, this guy does some things pretty good, but he doesn't show any exceptional traits anywhere. Um, and he's absolutely being lifted by a hall of fame wide receiver and another all pro and Jalen Waddle. And Oh, by the way, he's working with one of the best offensive minds in Mike McDaniel. So like, I I guess I'm just, I'm confused by that whole thing because man, I swear to God, man, people go crazy defending Tua and it's just, it's mind boggling to me.
0: I, I think it's a combination of two things. I think the first thing is that for, I don't know exactly when this turn happened and maybe it's always been this way and I'm just too young to know it, but like, it feels like all of, of football fandom and like everyone's ego about their team is boiled down exclusively to the quarterback. Like you you have yeah. to say you can't it's it it doesn't matter if you say the team is good if you don't say the quarterback is as good as the team. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, everything yeah, yeah, comes yeah. down to the quarterback, which is which makes for really frustrating conversation. You add that on top of, I think Miami fans are just, they're just insane. Like, they're just some of the most, they've kind of been a sleeper cell. Like, we know Philly fans are crazy, right? But the the Miami fans have just been kind of like a sleeper cell uh, because they just haven't been that good for that long. That's funny, but now they're yeah. finally good and they're like, oh, this is our time. This is our time to go to battle. And so I think it's just kind of a combination of, of some of that stuff. I also do think maybe part of it is that Tua probably – You know he didn't get a fair shake at the very beginning of his career, and maybe um, some people, myself included, were a little bit too harsh on Tua. And so I think this is like a little bit of like a the the reversal of that, where like they're a little bit too like willing to defend him um, because of you know maybe what happened early in his career.
1: And obviously he's improved. And I think you know the all the the conversations about you know Tua's confidence, I think was very important you know and i think way too often we look at these guys like video game sprites right where it's like oh their abilities are their abilities and it's like no that's 100% not the case you know confidence goes so far um in athletics and i think certainly i think tua um is a big example of that right okay so you've got him there um I the one thing where i'm just like i don't know man like are we not giving enough credit to jared goff because my guy jared goff bro at 14 dude he's been playing good football he he is he's been playing good football but like he's done this before
0: <laughs> like that's got, that's basically my take is like he's done this before i will say i actually think okay. he's a better quarterback now than he was um oh totally with the, with the rams like uh, like yes. with the rams it was so clear like he was kind of playing with um with like bowling uh the the bowling tracks like where they where they put him up yeah, on yeah, the side yeah. where he's uh, a bumper yeah, the bumpers he was yeah, kind of playing quarterbacks lens. with he was kind of playing quarterbacks with bumper lanes um and he just had a talented enough arm that it worked i think now we actually see that golf is a more complete quarterback i think he's been a little bit He's, he's grown as a pocket manager, I think, which has been a huge thing. And he's grown in his under his understanding and his ability to get to check downs. My problem is just that he's still very much a guy who relies on a very specific set of throws. Like he's a guy mm-hmm. who you've got to throw over the middle. You got to throw intermediate. He can kind of throw deep sometimes off of play action, but he's not a guy who's going to throw like late in the down, down the field, which I think is right. what separates a lot of the best quarterbacks. Um, so he doesn't really give you that. And then I think his touch outside the numbers is really not all the way there. And I think we've seen that pop up in certain um, certain games and certain scenarios. So I think he's another guy who is a good quarterback and does a lot of good things. And when you mm-hmm. build the offense a certain way and you give him the right tools, it can look fantastic. And I think the Lions have done an unbelievable job of that. It's just kind of a situation of like, if I dropped a different like top 10 quarterback into this offense, I, they would be like nuclear. It, it's basically... Basically, how I feel about it. Like, if it, to me, if we drop Dak in this offense, they're like just bananas.
1: <laughs> that's interesting, man. I I look at the roster and I'm not that impressed. You know, I know Amon Ross St. Brown is a, is a, is a dog, man. I love Amon Ross St. Brown. I love him. But I mean, again, they have no X receiver. Um, Sam Laporta, I think, has been a huge find for them. But again, you can't tell me that that's not a marriage of tight end quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so. Is, yeah. Um, so I don't know, like I, I look at the roster and, and again, from a pass catching perspective, uh, there's a lot to be desired, you know, especially at at outside, like they've got absolutely no one playing X right now for them. Right. So, um, I, I feel like Goff has absolutely elevated the offense. I think he's been doing a really, really good job. Um, and, and yeah, man, like I just feel putting him at 14, not that it's like super disrespectful because I wouldn't put him above anywhere below anywhere above number 10, but I probably have him at 10. Probably got him a 10 right there, right outside of those elite guys. Um, and only because, again, from the game-managing perspective, the talent elevation that I think that he has been able to do um, I think has been really, really impressive too. So uh, I just feel like 14 carries some of his and, – and you even mentioned it. It carries some of his priors into the evaluation as well, which, by the way, that's totally fair too. <laughs> that is totally fair um, as well. All right, last one. Uh, You've got Brock Purdy again, people get crazy for Brock Purdy, but again, you've got him at number 15. Um, Explain where you are on with Brock Purdy uh, in regards to, you know, again, there's some low level MVP conversation. People want to say he's, you know, a top five or six quarterback in this league. Where are you with Brock?
0: I mean, Brock is another guy where it's, it's a lot of like the Jared Goff type thing where it's like, he does certain things really really well I think he plays within the offense pretty well Um, he's very willing to kind of blindly trust Kyle Shanahan in a lot of ways which is how you end up getting some of these interceptions the past couple of weeks but um, he actually does throw with pretty good timing and I think he understands how the windows over the middle of the field are supposed to work which I think is like an underrated aspect of making this offense function at a high level and then honestly with Purdy it this feels really weird to say over the first month or so of the season I actually wasn't like unchanged in my opinion of Brock Purdy. I kind of thought it was okay. just like, yeah, this is like a okay quarterback who's just playing with four all pros and they're Kyle Shanahan's doing his thing, yada, yada, yada. The right. past couple of weeks, even with the interceptions, he's actually made some of his most impressive throws and I think had some of his most impressive moments outside of the pocket, which to me, that's where it's like, okay, he actually is elevating where, oh, he can throw a seam right now. He can throw a deep post now. Okay, like that's really cool. That's going to elevate the offense down the line and then I think especially the last week he played some of the plays he made outside the pocket were like oh I knew you could do this a little bit but this is even more than I thought you had in your bag so he's a weird case where I think he is getting a little bit better but this still to me is like the offense runs itself to a degree and so it's really really hard for me to separate the quarterback from from the other like I said, four All-Pros and probably the best play caller in the league. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: yeah, pretty good stuff. And by the way, um, it, it should be mentioned too that, um, you know, Trent Williams gets hurt there for San Francisco. Right. And, oh, oh, all of a sudden, Brock Purdy's struggling a little bit here <laughs> because he's more under pressure. And, yeah, he's throwing some more picks. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, listen, when, when, you, got a, when you have a quarterback that is just operating from a clean pocket all the time and you've got four All-Pros, as you mentioned, life's pretty easy you know so um i kind of agree with what uh you know the take our take is here on brock I, I feel like he's absolutely a league average quarterback and that's not a knock on him i mean dude this guy was a freaking 7th round draft pick for him to be league average Great. is good
0: Th- that's the thing if if you removed him from this like mvp thing that everyone is having about him if you just flatly said We drafted a guy with the last pick and he's a league average quarterback. If you told any fan base that, they'd be like, wow, this is amazing. We found gold. Yeah. But like because of this specific situation, because it's the Niners, because we've done this thing with Jimmy, it feels like such an explosive hot button thing to say. (laughs)
1: <laughs> jimmy garoppolo too by the way you're like golly man he was so bad um and i can't <laughs> yeah. believe that he was so bad on this particular team like that's what's crazy um but they were still winning games hey listen they're still winning games no matter how bad jimmy garoppolo played they were still winning football games man which is crazy to see anyways um yeah it, it over the last couple of weeks too I, I i feel like because he's been under pressure um and maybe you can expand on this uh He's taken. He's forced a few throws that I don't think are probably good ideas. And in particular, I think about that one where (laughs) he's out of the pocket, throws across his body to the middle of the field like, my God, please don't throw that ball, dude. Um, It gets caught, and that's fine. But I mean, like, golly, that can't be a great decision. And and by the way, it harkens back to a lot of the plays that I think we saw um, at Iowa State when we're talking about Brock Purdy, where he didn't have all these all pros and he was trying to create outside of the the, the structure and he was trying to do too much and got into trouble a lot when he was at Iowa State.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, I think especially over the past couple of weeks, really without Trent Williams, there's been a little bit more of like, I'm going to go do something. Like he has the, I think I'm Josh Allen disease that Kenny Pickett has. And it's like, eh, you're not Josh Allen. So like, maybe let's chill out yeah. a little bit, even though it does work out enough. Um, I think the other thing too is like, and part of my hesitation with, with like lifting Purdy into the top 10 or whatever was Purdy has kind of always been hyper aggressive and willing to like really push the ball into tight windows. Even last year, my like passes defended rate for him was pretty high. Um, In the one game I charted for him this season, it was really high. It's just like he wasn't getting picked off. Like he was like immune for whatever reason, it was like the opposite okay. of Dak Prescott last year where like he just was unbelievably unlucky every time that there was a contested pass. Pretty was like the opposite where he was just like in God mode where just nothing he could do uh, was wrong. The last couple weeks, I've just think we've seen like they're getting caught now. Like the interceptions are just getting caught, which which is going to happen. So that's actually why I'm not really worried that much about like the oh, Brock Purdy is kind of spiraling now. It's like, eh, he's kind of always done this now. It's just hurting him a little bit. But by the time the end of the season rolls around, they'll probably be fine.
1: Yeah, um, interesting stuff there. Certainly with the rankings, you could find the entire uh, list of rankings over at the 33rd team. Um, And of course, if you want to get some more of his deep dive quarterback stuff, obviously go to the website, reception, All right, man, that's the show, Derek. We appreciate your time, man. Uh, but for everyone out there, if you guys have uh, stuck with us this long, we definitely appreciate you guys like, and subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, share it with family. That would be much appreciated as well. All right. For Derek Klasson, I'm James Cope. We'll see you. And remember it's never too late to chase your dreams. All right. Peace.